people think country and western is separate from rock. Well, it wasn't back then. You claim there is no wrong and he talks about this with Man in Black. I'm here for the downtrodden, the, the beaten down. Black and white, well, I, 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 think, I think it started to have a deeper meaning for him, or at least the stage meaning that he ascribed to it. And I think he was sincere about the stage meaning of it as well. I think he started... Um, and apparently she might have found the phrase by reading an old Elizabethan poetry book owned by her uncle A.P. Carter, according to Sunday morning coming down, for example. Um, you know, you've got this hangover from, well, sometimes the song leaves, you, leaves it to your imagination. Sometimes it's a bit more explicit that it's about illicit drugs. Well, welcome back to Philosopher Rock. I'm your host, GK, and this is episode 14. And my special guest, Graham Gould, is back, and he's here to discuss Johnny Cash. Now, Johnny Cash will need very little introduction to all of you, I am sure. So, suffice it to say, he was a huge star in the 50s and 60s. His musical fortunes waxed and waned over a 50-year career, where he released some 90-plus albums and over 150 singles. He also appeared in a number of movies and television shows, and he wrote a novel called The Man in White. In this episode, Graham and I discuss Johnny Cash, the man, the myth, the music, and the movie Walk the Line. Please remember the opinions in this show are mine and my guests and we do not hold ourselves out to be experts on all things Johnny Cash. In fact, there is no way we or anyone could cover all things Johnny Cash in one short show like this. So, with that in mind, let's now go to our discussion. This is Johnny Cash on Philosopher Rock. Well, here we are again on Philosopher Rock. I'm your host, GK. And back by popular demand is Graham Gould, who you will remember we had uh, on our last episode talking about Queen. In this episode, I'm very happy to announce, and I've been really, really looking forward to this. I've actually had to sort of badger Graham to get him back on because he's come back to talk to us about Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash. G'day, Graham. Yeah, tell us... um, uh, how are you going at first, and then let's hook into this discussion about Johnny Cash. Hello, GK. I'm Graham Gould. <laughs> yeah, Johnny Cash. Um, yeah, been a big fan of Johnny Cash for a very long time. So a little bit different than Queen, but I think we're going to see some similarities with Queen as we go through our discussion, uh, from my perspective at least. Um, the appeal um, is very broad. The music styles um has a broad range similar to queen um very difficult to classify so generally they get classified in a particular way but that's just probably what they're most famous for um in the case of queen and and johnny cash different um genres so back in the day he was considered um uh, that both kinds of music, country and Western, wasn't he, in, in his early career? And, and he was the most pop- – in the 50s, he was the most popular country and Western singer until he started to get into drugs and have some problems with 
personal behavior and stuff. And then he came back again in the 60s, late 60s, he came back again. Um, but yeah, he he was folk. He was, you know, he's been in a number of different areas. He's very difficult to to nail down to one, um, you know, some some groups and, and performers. Yeah, they're very much a particular type of music and very much in that stream. But I tend to find, in my experience, the more successful ones tend to push the boundaries a bit. They tend to cross over. They tend to sit in the middle between different things. And they tend to come up with very interesting mixes of things that you go, oh, wow, I've never heard a sound like that before. Um, we might talk about CCR sometime because they sort of did that with Swamp Rock. They invented their own genre, really. Yeah, and they were nowhere near the swamps because they were from Bakersfield, <laughs> which, you know, I'm not American, but I know that that's not a swampy area. So uh, it's, a, it's a good one. Hey, um, so tell us a little bit about, you know, uh, without we don't have to go right into it because people know the story a little bit, but tell us a little bit about his um, his background because I'm sure that's what, like all of us, um, you know, the background sort of makes the man, doesn't it? W where did he come from? What was that about? Um, so one of the things that I think appeals to me about Johnny Cash is that similar sort of thing. It, what generally appeals to me is that underdog, that outsider, that... Um, and Johnny Cash, in a lot of ways, was that. Um, and he definitely positioned himself as being outside the mainstream, um, being against the mainstream and the easy and the the accepted. Um, so he very much positioned himself as a rebel, especially in the early days of his music, the early days of, of rock and roll in the 50s. Um, he had that um, rock and roll hairstyle. Um, but you want to go back a little bit further than that first. He grew up very poor, a uh, sharecropping family, family, as far as I can tell, um, you know, eking it out on the dust bowl um, and barely surviving. Um, and as far as I can tell, his father was a little bit of a hard man. His father was a drinker, um, had, you know, had issues that drinkers tend to have. Um, and his mother tried to hold the family together and protect the boys from from the father and and stuff like that, um, which reminds me of the um, movie uh, Hacksaw Ridge, I think it's called. Um, but let's not <laughs> get distracted. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think Johnny Cash, um, at least the way that the movie presents it, um, his father was a little bit of an angry man, and and but you know I don't know how much that is a child's perception of his father. And his father was a hardworking man who was trying to hold things together and struggling. And so he seemed like an angrier man than he actually was to, to Johnny growing up. Um, but Johnny went through, you know, that and um, managed to get enough of an education to be able to join the Air Force, if I remember correctly. And he was stationed in Germany just after World War Two. Um, and while he was there, he was reportedly the first one in the West to receive the news that Stalin had died. Wow. Is that is that for real? Well, it can't be confirmed definitely as far as I can tell, but there doesn't seem to be any challenge to the claim that I was able to find. So it's highly likely that it's true. Um, he received the Morse code message because he was stationed at a base in Germany. And so it came through to the Americans, you know, the, the news was coming out of the Soviet Union. Before we move on, I wanted to say to you that um, 
uh, I don't know if you know this, but, you know, his um, boyhood home, it's in um, Mississippi County, Arkansas, right? Well, the... <laughs> I've always wanted an excuse to Arkansas. say that. Arkansas. Um, not Arkansas. Not Arkansas. No, no, that's right. Yeah. Sorry, I can't call you that either. <laughs> <laughs> call me anything. Sorry, sorry. But you needed to remind me. What am I calling you? Oh, anything, anything but late for dinner. Just don't do that. Hey, so his boyhood home is uh, listed on the National Register of Historic Places. Um, and if you go on Wikipedia, you can find the address and you can go and look at the house. Like, you can drive sort of right up to it. Um, and I'll send that link to you later, Graham, in case you want to go over to Arkansas. Um, well, I'd love to visit America, and that would be definitely one of the things I'd love to do. It'd yeah. be interesting, because when you're standing there, when you see these actual things, you know, even if they're not perfectly the same, right. you still get a better sense of it. You get a picture in your mind, and it's right. like being able to see it so that you get an, a more accurate picture. Yeah, so that yeah, so that little house, I don't know if the, it's... Because they were given 20 acres, and they, you know, they're all cotton farmers in that area. They're all picking cotton. Um, and I don't know if the house is still on that 20 acres, but the house itself uh, is on that National Register. And you go and see it. I think that's interesting, and I'd like to go with you. Well, while we're on that, we can talk about the fact that they had a flood. Oh, um, good. Okay, yep. And and there's one of his songs, Five Foot High and Rising. Right. Five foot, five foot. <laughs> you know what I'm going to call you, Tubby, do you? Um <laughs> <laughs> Give me a nickname to call you. Give me something to call you, um, GK. Um, five foot high and right. Now imagine five foot. That's nearly two. Well, no, what's that? One and a half meters, because just over three foot is a meter. So, so five foot would be one and a half meters. That's you know chest height as an adult. Imagine being a child in that. That'd be over your head. Um, but apparently, um, they the father ripped a door off the house so that they had something to float on and survive this flood. Um, so I don't know what they lost, whether they lost everything. Um, according to the movie, there was a piano and he was going to sell it. He threatened to sell it because the kids, yeah, there's a, there's an event in the movie where um, she's trying to say, let the children go inside. And he's going, well, this cotton needs to be picked. Do you want me to sell your piano? She's, You're not selling my piano. So the, I guess they came to some sort of compromise. The kids kept picking. <laughs> so that all the cotton could come in and the piano didn't get sold but that's another thing i wanted to mention as well that he grew up in a musical family um as far as i can tell his mother was was right into to music especially hymns and church and stuff like that um and um they used to have an old radio one of those really cheap box radio things um you know <laughs> that looks like it's made in some shop class or um <laughs> some electronics learners workshop um and uh yeah he'd listen to it late at night and his dad would be banging on the wall at least according to the movie banging on the wall shut that thing off because his dad's trying to go to sleep um but he loved his music um and he always had that in his heart and he's off in the in the air force and he's got his guitar and he's practicing and he always wanted to get into music that was always his passion um, and eventually he was able to. It was a bit of a struggle when he came back to America. Um, he was door to door salesman and job after job. And he, but that, you know, that wasn't really where his heart was. So and he so, was selling vacuum cleaners door to door. Is that right? That's what it was. I, yeah, I don't remember the things he was selling. Um, I think in the 
in the movie it was knives or some other such thing. It was some some awful job and getting because divorced. he married um, his his first first wife Vivian, hadn't he? When he yeah, came his, back, his first sweetheart, and I don't think she was happy with the way their their life was going. Uh, no, it, as it yeah. turned out, and they had four daughters together. Um, but um, we'll get into that in a little bit. Like I, one of the interesting things that I like about his story is, um, and and some of this is, you know, I don't know, it's not necessarily true, but he went. Um, he auditioned for Sam Phillips, you know, from Sun Records, who gave a lot of these early, their start, uh, these early uh, singers. I nearly said country and western blokes. But well, Elvis. Elvis early. as well. Yeah, yep. yeah. Jerry Lou Lewis, you know. Yep. Banging away on his piano. Um, but, you know, it said, um, you know, because he was auditioning, sing, singing mostly gospel songs, he, he apparently said to him, uh, I'm not doing gospel recording you know, gospel music, go home and sin and come back with a song I can sell. Yes. Um, so I've heard that story and I've also heard, yeah, that's just a bit of an embellishment of what actually happened. Um, so who knows? But, yeah, I suspect that that's a story that's been told because it's easier to tell that than essentially that was the impression Sam Phillips was giving him. I don't do gospel anymore. What's the only alternative? Well, sin, <laughs> That's at least from a Christian perspective, um, you know, I need to sell sin. So you need to write more songs that have sin in them. How do you do that? We'll go away and sin some more. So Sam Phillips may not have actually said Sad, that, not, no. yes, but that's at yeah. least the impression that at least one person and then that story spread um, and other people bought into the story. So, yeah. And it's interesting, too, that his first recording that he made at Sun, you know, that song, Hey Porter? Um, mm. For me personally, that's the first one I remember hearing of Johnny Cash's. Um, now, I'm not as, I'm, I wasn't around when it was recorded. This is a lot later. But I remember um, having a cassette with Johnny Cash, um, like Greatest Hits or something. And that's the one that stood out to me, that Hey Porter song. So I thought, I didn't know until recently that was the first one he recorded at Sun. But anyway, um, you, well, there you go. Yeah. Hey, Porter. Yeah, it's a it's a great tune. Um, so I don't even remember my first encounter with Johnny Cash. I think it came across gradually um, because I probably, you know, that sort of more early rebellious rock and roll type of, of stuff would have. I mean, I wasn't around then either. That was at least 10 years before I was born. Um, but the later Johnny Cash where... And this is a fascinating thing to me about Johnny Cash. So early it's about rebellion, um, but he started to gather a lot of Christian supporters because I think Johnny Cash wasn't just rebelling against God. And he didn't really have he always had a soft spot in his heart for God and gospel and all of that sort of thing. And so he didn't have he wasn't like Jerry Lee, Jerry Lee Lewis. He didn't have that rebellion against God. He wasn't foul like some of the early rock um, and that that group because he hung around with those people. Even like people think country and western separate from rock. Well, it wasn't back then. Back then, these people were all touring together, and there was a lot more overlap between early country, well, country and western at that time at least, and the early rock and the rockabilly and the, all of those sort of things. Um, we're all in about the same sphere um, geographically and socially and, and so forth. And their music wasn't as separate as we might think today, um, or at least, you know, um, getting into the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. 
um, they diverged and they seem to be coming back together, although I think country's headed towards pop. Anyway, getting off topic. Um, yeah, where was I? <laughs> so, yeah, Johnny Cash didn't have that sort of rebellion against God feeling to him. It was a rebellion against, and he talks about this with Man in Black, I'm here for the downtrodden, the the beaten down, which, interestingly, that reminds me of a line in, in our show about Queen that came from the movie, We're Here for the People at the Back of the Room, uh, supposedly in the movie. Well, that seems to be a similar thing to me with Johnny Cash. I'm here for the Indians. I'm here for the veterans. I'm here for the, the people that are forgotten by society, the people that are marginalised, the poor, the homeless. And then you go, hang on. That sounds like the Bible. Jesus said, if you're caring for the orphans and the widows and the homeless and those in prison, you're caring for me. And Johnny Cash had that in his mind. In fact, his resurgence in the late 60s was because of exactly that. He said to the his record producers, the executives, he said to them, I want to go perform when he's trying to reestablish himself and come, become, you know, get back as a a performing artist and so forth, after he dealt with some of his drug issues, um, he said, I want to go perform in Folsom Prison. I do want to record a live album in the prison. And according to the movie, at least, they say to him, no, most of your supporters are church folk. Johnny, what are they going to think? And he says, well, if they don't like that, then they're not very good Christians, are they? <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good line. And it's like, yeah. see, this is the thing. If you actually know what the Bible says, you have a different conception of what Christianity actually is than what people out there in the world. They think Christians are these people who are trying to protect themselves from, you know, sin and so forth and live these upright lives. And it's all about appearance. But real Christianity is real. And we struggle. We're not perfect and we don't try and pretend and we go and get our hands dirty and help people like Jesus did. He met with the publicans and sinners and the oh, sorry, tax collectors and sinners in modern English and the religious people of his day said, why are you doing that? And so he tells the um, he, he calls it one parable. We think of it as three parables, but it's actually one parable. The lost sheep, the lost coin and the lost child. Well, actually two lost children, but maybe we can get to that later. <laughs> yeah, so so what you're saying is, um, even though, like we know, he had a lot of issues, like with um, uh, drugs and alcohol, mm. um, he his heart was for um, what you're describing as doing the right thing, um, and and you know, doing the right thing because of his um, stance, say on um, Native Americans and even being equated with, I'm air quoting here, guys, uh, hippies like Bob Dylan on that. Um, did you know that the KKK came after him? Um, there was an incident there where they actually um, uh, shoved a burning cross on his front lawn. Well, there you go. I'm glad you did your own research as well so we can tell <laughs> different stories. <laughs> but I'm just saying, you know, because I guess they considered, I don't know a lot about them, but I think they consider themselves a Christian organisation. Right. Well, they so, tried to present themselves as Christian, yeah. but there's nothing Christian about them. That was all PR. That's right. But I'm just saying, so they're thinking that he's a sinner. Like the Nazis. Right. They like, tried to present good themselves example. as Christian yeah. too. Yeah. And so um, because and because his first wife was um, somewhat, you know, not completely um, in appearance as the KKK might consider the ultimate human being to look like, 
they went after him and her. Um, and, and, and it also had to do with his stance on, like I said, Native Americans and hippies. And on things. rights. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. they even went as far as um, putting one of them flaming crosses on his front lawn. So there you go. Um, yeah. So talk a bit more about his wife. Was she of not white ancestry or something or mixed? Because I hadn't come across that. <laughs> and they certainly didn't present it that way in the movie. They used a... Yeah, she looked very Anglo-Saxon to me, or at least European. Yeah. Well, look, I'll tell you what they did. Um, so what they did was they put out this newsletter, and um, it was called um, The Thunderbolt. And um, on this, they they had a, a, a photograph of uh, him and his wife. And, mm. um, like, it was, this is a racist publication. And mm. they intentionally darkened the... Um, the photograph, so it made her look ah, darker. Made her she... look darker. Right, and like the headline, the headline apparently read: um, "Arrest exposes Johnny Cash's Negro wife," um, <laughs> just to make it look as bad as possible for him. And sorry, I shouldn't laugh at that, but it's so stupid. It is I'm so laughing stupid. because of how absurd the yeah. KKK and how absurd racism is. Quite frankly, well, it's ridiculous because it's just. How do people get sucked in by this garbage? Well, human beings are stupid. Right. And I'm not excluding myself. No, no, I, no, I understand. I, I have to laugh at it. Yeah. Well, we, before we move on from that, we just say briefly that his, like his first wife, uh, you know, Vivian, uh, they had four daughters together. And I think it's generally accepted that um, she eventually um, filed for divorce because of his, well, womanizing. We haven't mentioned that. Um, uh, drug abuse and alcohol and all of that so she'd had enough but they had they had four daughters together and I think she has a has a memoir out there called I Walk the Line My Life with Johnny because that Walk the Line song is actually about her. Uh, yeah it's interesting that that was written by his um, new wife um, and yet it's yeah. It seems and, and to so... be about the first wife right? Well, it seems to be about Johnny and, yeah, how everybody that he encountered at that time, he was he needed to walk the line, but everybody else had to, to walk the line. It, yeah, that's a fact. I'd like to know more about the, the history behind that, but I haven't been able to find a lot of information about where the idea came from. I can't remember her name. It's June Carter. Um, he grew up listening to them singing. The Carter family were a famous gospel family that had continued and they were still doing it. His, um, June's parents were still performing, um, June's sisters, um, and June was in and out of, of that. She was also known um, on her own, um, and she became more famous on her own because of her association with John. Well, she'd started to become more famous on her own already. Carl Perkins um, I think was her first husband, and he wrote, uh, what's it called? The song that um, became a famous duet with Johnny Cash, and he caused that to happen. So when um, Carl Perkins and June split up, um, Johnny was encouraging her to sing it with him, and she didn't really want to because it had been what they'd been known for, Carl and June, right. um, as a couple. Okay. And so she, well, at least the way the movie presents it, I, I'm saying this a lot because I'm, <laughs> some of my information comes from the movie. We, we, um, so we need to talk I, about I, the movie. We need to talk I, about I've the movie. I've got a caveat. Yes, yeah. let's do that. 
do that. Let's do that now. I mean, yeah, this is just a discussion. Um, I can't remember the song, though. We, we need to... <laughs> uh, Jackson? Jacksonville. Jacksonville. That's Jackson. It. Yeah, I think the song's just called Jackson. Oh, Jackson. Yeah, sorry. Um, I, I think we should talk about the movie now. Uh, I mean, this might be a... Should have done this a little bit earlier or leave it for last. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But that movie, uh, Walk the Line, um, with uh, Joachim Phoenix, uh, great movie. Now... I know you've enjoyed it and I've enjoyed it. And, you know, we know movies, you know, they tend to um, gild the lily a bit with some things but um, and exaggerate. But i got to tell you, that was my um, first experience at one of these um, deluxe cinemas, you know, where you go in a gold class. So me and my wife and... The old Hoyts, eh? The old Hoyts, yeah, but they're not called that anymore. But up there in... No. Yeah, in Chermside in Brisbane, um, it was the first of those um, deluxe cinemas that opened... Uh, at least on that side side of town that I can remember, and um, so we went in there, and it's the one where you know you put your order in, you can have your coffee and your snacks delivered to your chair, and you're li- sitting in these luxury chairs, and then you know you can give them the time. Oh, I want it in 45 minutes or what? Oh, it was fantastic. Um, what it was a great experience. So how long ago was that, and how much did you pay? <laughs> well, I think it was when this movie came out. So is it 2003 or four or five or something like that? When um, I walk, walk the line came out. And it's just all I can remember. Like I know um, it's a lot more expensive now, but if if a movie ticket was say fifteen dollars, it was only like another five. It was only like twenty dollars for the experience. Right. It was pretty cheap, really, um, to be in comfort and then to have you know coffee delivered at whatever time that you put down. And of course, you paid extra for your snacks and that whatever. But they deliver it to you. And anyway, so I, I'll never forget this movie because that. I've only ever done that twice, and that was the fir- first one, as far as I remember, was this film. Um, and I was just blown away by that movie. I thought that was fantastic. Um, I think they did an excellent job. Like you said, um, Hollywood does they, – they don't really care about the truth, but I think in terms <laughs> yeah. of that movie, yeah. they did a pretty good job. They did a better job of, of caring about the truth than, than a lot of these movies do. Sometimes they just completely abandon any – semblance of caring about the truth and just make changes just for no apparent reason but i think they did a pretty good job in that one well i, I couldn't wait for the dvd to come out i i, I just mm. went and bought it straight i thought wow this is one of the you know my best favorite movies of all time already as soon as i saw it you know and i like a lot of movies but so what's your experience as far as the movie goes well, I had trepidation about the movie because it's like, oh, you know, cause like you say, Hollywood tends to mess things up. And it's like, I already liked Johnny Cash and I didn't want the movie to ruin that because I love his music. I love I love the themes of sin and struggle and redemption that run through um, Johnny's music. And I hope we can talk about that. I'm sure we will. Um, and I didn't want either of those to be downplayed at the expense of the other part of, because they're two things that need to work together. You can emphasize sin and, you know, depravity and ah, don't worry about redemption. Yeah. Sin's okay. Or you can emphasize the horror of sin and downplay redemption as well and, and turn into a legalist. Um, so you need, or you can just talk about redemption and everything's okay and you can do whatever you want and just confess it to the priest as an example. Um, you know, just picking a random example there. Um, and you can live however you like. Um, and that's not Johnny Cash's story. 
And it's not the story of truth, more importantly, about our universe, about how God works, about how we do need to be redeemed from sin. And I, I realize I'm injecting my own opinion and position, but this is my opinion and position. Um, so people don't have to agree with me on this. But I think this is important to understand, because if we don't understand these things, I don't think we understand um, the most important things. But um, if you if that's going to turn you off, well, leave that to one side and um, let's get back to Johnny Cash. So when I watched the movie, I was actually impressed. I thought they did an excellent job of trying to stick to the the narrative that was fairly close to Johnny Cash's story. They didn't go too far off as far as I can tell, but they also included the themes running through, they didn't try and whitewash his life and make him appear to be a better human being than he actually was. They were pretty raw, um, you know, for a family friendly movie, they were pretty raw with, you know, his indiscretions and so forth. But they also didn't um, make them seem OK. And, you know, there was redemption. There was, um, you know, they highlighted that he didn't have a great relationship with his father. I don't know how true that is. But there was redemption there. There was redemption with his, you know, with June Carter Cash or June Carter. Um, and there was other things like he redeemed his own life as well and got back on track. And things like that were just, yeah, there, there were good themes running through that are true to his story as well as important themes that need to be highlighted. So I, I actually love the movie. I love watching it. Um I rank it up there with one of the best movies that I know of. <laughs> yeah, well, it is. Yeah, it's in it's in my top. I don't know whatever number, but yeah, yeah same. it's one it's of those. In my top, I don't know. 20, something. 30, yeah, something. Yeah, it's it is yeah. a it is a fantastic film. Uh, and just special mention that um, uh, both Phoenix and um, Witherspoon. Um, uh, they sing, you know, they sing the, the, the tunes. And and it's actually them. It's actually they them. They and, were and, trained. Yeah. And, and they do a pretty good job. I, I reckon it's pretty darn good. I, I, I like think his Joaquin voice. sounds like um, Johnny and yep. Reese sounds like June. Yep, I like his Not voice. perfectly, but close no. enough for a movie. Pretty good. Because uh, they could have just dubbed it in and it wouldn't have been as effective, I don't think. Well, it's interesting. There was another movie that came out around the same time called Ray. I don't know if you remember that one. And that was, yeah, not him singing. Well, it was Ray singing, but not the actor. <laughs> and But, I mean, that was an, an all right movie. But, yeah, I do think Walk the Line was a better movie. And that's one of the reasons. You, you know, you've just mentioned about that particular tune because it is a well-known one and it's easy to talk about. We can just say Walk the Line and most people are talking about. So what is it about that song? Like, I mean, I think you mentioned to me something about... Jude four and related. Oh yeah. So, um, so let me let me just read a couple of the lyrics from the from the um, sorry song um, lyrics, and I forgot to bring the lyrics up. So I'll just give me a couple of seconds. You can cut it out later. I keep a close watch on this heart of mine. I keep my wa eyes wide open all the time. I keep the ends out for the tie that binds. Because you're mine, I walk the line. I find it very, very easy to be true. I find myself alone when each day's true. Yes, I'll admit that I'm a fool for you. Because you're mine, 
I walk the line. We're probably going to get a copyright strike if I keep going. As sure as night is dark and day is light, I keep you on my mind both day and night. And happiness, I've known, proved that it's right because you're mine. I walk the line. So what are we talking about? What's, what's walking the line? Well, I think most of us can figure out walking the line is trying to stay on the straight and narrow. Right? And most of us would immediately, yeah, okay, I know what that's about. Right, do we realize, though, that that's a phrase from the Bible, but it's from the King James Bible 400 years ago, and the straight there that's being talked about is the difficult or narrow, the constricted and narrow is what it really means. It doesn't mean straight in the modern sense of, you know, when you hear the word straight, you think a straight line, not crooked. That's not what it means. But we've come to take that meaning onto it. What it really means is difficult or constricted and narrow in modern English. So Johnny, having had his Christian upbringing and then having strayed into drugs and illicit behavior in a number of different ways, now is trying to live up to June's encouragement to walk the line, walk the straight and narrow, and to be the person that God wants us to be. Now he goes on and says, because you're mine, because June's his, well, I think that's what's in his head. I think that's what he's thinking when he's singing this song, but he didn't actually, let me just check. Did he write the song or did June write the song? I've got a feeling that he was, he thought of the line, walk the line because of something June said. And then he wrote the song to respond to her. I'm going to try to walk the line. I keep a close watch on this heart of mine. I keep my eyes wide open all the time. I keep the ends out for the tie that binds. Another biblical phrase. Well, a King James Bible phrase. What's the tie that binds? Well, in context, if you go to the Bible, that's referring to God holding us. As we submit ourselves to him, according to the Bible, he holds on to us. And so Johnny's also hinting at the idea, whether it's in his head or not, he's hinting at the idea that it's not really up to us to do it. We trust God and he looks after us. He is the one that's actually walking the line. As we trust him, he walks the line through us. I see a deeper meaning to this song that Johnny may not have even meant. But as a Christian, because there are so many biblical inferences or references in this song, I go, well, not hard for me to jump to. What does the Bible say about these things? They're there in the song. What do they mean from a biblical perspective? Well, because you're mine, Jesus, I walk the line. Now, in what sense is Jesus mine? Well, according to the Bible, if I'm trusting God, if I've trusted him, if, if I acknowledge, hey, I'm a hell-deserving sinner because I've rebelled against God, I'm proud, I'm selfish, I'm, I'm stubborn, I'm a liar, I get angry far too easily. There's hatred that enters my heart, but God, thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins. I want to trust him. And then I become his and he becomes mine. He becomes my savior. He becomes my friend. 
And because you're mine, Jesus, I walk the light. Now, did Johnny mean any of that? I don't know. But I suspect that there are um, hints in his life that even if he didn't see it in the song, he did mean it with his life that way as well. Like I said, I think I said it earlier, he wrote it in 1956 and it was, you know, when it's sort of, um, sort of, in a way, I'm going to use these words, sort of dedicated to his first wife, right? Right. But got adapted later, it seems, to, you know, suit his second wife. I don't know if Mm -hmm. I'm right in saying that. Maybe scratch that. But um, but I I, I noticed that on, on, on... the first single, the first issue of I Walk the Line by Sun Records, you know, the B-side is um, Get Rhythm, which is another great catchy tune of his. Mm-hmm. Um, another one I really, really like, and I think they did it in the film too, didn't they? Um, yeah, those two were pretty close together, but they did seem to tie Walk the Line to his new wife, not his old wife. They seemed so. to do that in the film, but, mm. yeah, it was written, you know, during his first, you know, 1956 um, yeah, so to... that's that's mm. interesting. Maybe mm. back in 1956, that was what was in his heart. And mm. then for 10 years, um, he strayed from that, and then he's, he came back to it eventually. And June um, was was able to help him, you know, or at that stage in his life or whatever was going on, yeah. he was able to walk the line a bit better from the late 60s on. Um, we, we had to we had to talk about the movie and we had to talk about that specific song because they are huge in in this whole story at least from our perspective um, and it is one of his better known songs. Um, so you know we have talked about this a little bit about the beliefs that are revealed in in his lyrics and in his tunes. Um, the idea of wearing black now i think i saw somewhere that initially he had said that when you when you're on the road when you're touring it's easier to keep your clothes clean (laughs) if you wear black right but also for other reasons well i i think i think it started to have a deeper meaning for him or at least the stage meaning that he ascribed to it and i think he was sincere about the stage meaning of it as well. I think he started, he might not have been sincere when he first invented, I, I, don't, I don't know, I don't know the history of it, but I think he became sincere over time that he was wearing black as a sign of mourning. And that became a signature, you know, th- th- this him wearing black is, well, until this world is a place that treats people better and then are no marginalised, I'm going to continue to wear black. And he has actually a song um, man in black, and he says, I'd love to wear a rainbow every day, but I look around at this world and I can't. I have to wear black because I'm in mourning. Now, did he invent that and then that became real for him afterwards, or was that part of the reason? Well, I really don't care. <laughs> That's it, It's true. It, it ended up to be the truth of what what Johnny Cash is that we know today. And so that's what's really important, um, I think. Um, and if someone can can help me figure out the history of it, well, great. But, yeah, he was wearing black because he was in mourning and he wanted to be that to be something that, that people thought about him. He was there for the marginalised. He was there for the poor, the dispossessed, um, the out, outsiders. 
Which is something I find very appealing. Yes. It's always appealing to me when I see things like that. I love the movie Shine for exactly that thing. Someone who's struggling with mental health issues of whatever sort um, that, I've forgotten his name now, but he was a pianist. He had a mental breakdown, and but still a brilliant pianist. Another great movie, by the way. (laughs) Another awesome movie. Absolutely brilliant. It's called Shine. Jeffrey Rush is the, well, he's, he's called the lead, but I reckon Noah Taylor was the real lead in that movie. And, but both of them did a brilliant job. I'm not trying to downplay Jeffrey Rush at all, but I think Noah Taylor, in my opinion, outshined Jeffrey in that movie, as great as Jeffrey was. But anyway. Hey, let's let's talk. Like, So we talked about Walk the Line and you know, Man in Black. We've hit that. And I know we're going to get to um, Hurt, but before we get there, do you have a couple of comments about the song Ring of Fire? (laughs) I absolutely do. Ring of Fire is a song that fascinates me. I like Ring of Fire, and I've I've always tried to figure out what on earth is this talking about? And it's it's sort of like, oh, okay, I guess this is about the Ring of Fire in his, his heart. He's got this burning ring of fire but why is it a ring of fire in his you know this love well i'm looking here on wikipedia apparently it was originally love's ring of fire it was written by june um and merle kilgore it was originally recorded as love's ring of fire by june's sister anita carter on her 1963 album folk songs old and new um but folk songs old and new well i guess it's new um um and apparently she might have found the phrase by reading an old elizabethan poetry book owned by her uncle ap carter according to wikipedia and and her and this guy kilgore working on songs they sort of you know there's no way to be in that kind of hell no way to extinguish a flame that burns 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 ah burns 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 well there we go I mean, you've got the you've got the background for your song now. Um, and then Johnny Cash picked it up. He's made it famous. Everybody knows Ring of Fire as a Johnny Cash song. Right. Um, but what's what fascinated me, it, it clicked with me. Hang on, we've got this Mexican music and you've got this sort of mariachi band and all of this sort of thing. And then I don't know how perverted my mind is, but it suddenly occurred to me, hang on, Mexican Ring of Fire. Oh, okay. I'll leave people to go go there on their own. I won't. I won't take that any further. But if you think of Mexican and Ring of Fire, maybe your mind might go somewhere that mine went. But I just thought it was funny. I, I'm not trying to be perverted or crude. I just think that's hilarious that they use Mexican music and the songs called Ring of Fire. <laughs> And, and we know what Mexican food is known for. But anyway, let's move on. <laughs> All right. Okay, so what about um, another one? Um, don't take your guns to town. Yeah, don't take your guns to town. Don't let your boys grow up to be cowboys. Um, <laughs> well, it's the same idea, isn't it? That's right. Um, yeah. So there's, there's a number of different themes that run through Johnny's songs, and we've talked about this previously. There's the, the themes of sin, struggle against sin, or struggling with sin, um, or not struggling quite so much necessarily sometimes. Um, Sunday morning coming down, for example, um, you know, you've got this hangover from, well, 
sometimes the song leaves you, leaves it to your imagination. Sometimes it's a bit more explicit that it's about illicit drugs. Um, but, you know, when they try and clean it up a bit, it's about alcohol. Um, and so I'll just have a little bit more on Sunday morning. Now, you know, in the culture, especially of the 50s and, and even into the 60s, when you say Sunday morning, what are you thinking of? Well, church. But here we've got this song Sunday morning coming down, totally undermining that idea and destroying it, attacking it head on. But is Johnny doing that to say that he hates church? No, this is about his struggle. He's got in his heart, well, I want to be right with God, but he's got this other thing going on that's fighting against it and it's overcoming him. So he's very raw about his struggle against sin, but also his love of sin and and the fight that's going on between these two conflicting things that he doesn't seem to be able to head the way. It's interesting because I'm now thinking of Romans 7. Paul the Apostle talks about this in Romans 7. Uh, you know, Romans is a book in the Bible, and, and Romans 7 is chapter 7 of that book. Um, and Paul goes into great length talking about, I keep doing the things that I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I know that I should do the things that I really want to do. Well, Johnny Cash is a perfect example of that um, for a fair degree of his life. And all Christians are. Christians who are honest with themselves go, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not this saint in the sense that people tend to think about saints where we don't have any struggles against sin and everything's perfect and, and these masks that we wear. And it's not just Christians. Human beings do this. We try to pretend that things are going better than they actually are frequently. That's, you know, we naturally try and do that. Some people are, are you know, a little bit more honest or um, it's not always necessarily honesty that we open up to other people. But some people are more raw. Some people are more whatever. But as a general rule, most human beings wear masks with each other. Well, with Johnny, I don't see that as much. I see that. Um, more raw honesty um, with him. But it's not just these themes of struggling with or against sin, um, but also redemption. And so we've got these other songs that he's written, like Don't Take Your Guns to Town. Well, try and stop it before it starts is the idea in Don't Take Your Guns to Town, because this is what happens um, <clears throat> I tried to look for songs where Johnny's talking about redemption and he's not as well known for outright talking about redemption. But what I did find is that there's a lot of times where he does sing Christian songs that have those themes. And one of the first songs, at least in the movie, the first song he wanted to record, I was there when it happened. Now, we don't know this song very well anymore, um, but I was there when it happened. Don't tell me Jesus doesn't exist. Don't tell me that he hasn't worked in my life. I was there when it happened. It's my personal experience. You can't tell me it didn't happen. But there's another song I'd like to point to, Why Me, Lord. Why me, Lord, what have I ever done to deserve even one of the blessings I've known? And the greatest blessing of all, forgiveness. 
that my sins can be washed clean. I'm not held to account for them because someone else has stepped in and paid the fine that I owe, that I can't pay. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loves us unconditionally. Well, there sort of is one condition. We have to turn to him and say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And he's got a gift waiting. He wants to give you full salvation. Just turn to him and accept it. There's nothing you need to do. There's no works you can do to earn it. You just say thank you. Just accept it. There's a verse, Romans 5, 8. But God commends, demonstrates or shows his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't do anything to deserve God's love. And that's what this song is about. Why me, Lord? Why me? Why me? Because God is love. We don't deserve it, but God is loving. And so he gives it because he's a giving God. And <laughs> I feel like launching into a, an appeal. Alter God, <laughs> have you accepted it? Do you know God's love like Johnny did? Johnny eventually got there where he was resting in God's love and peace and, and trusting God to overcome his sin instead of trying to do it in his own strength and failing. Do you know that? And there's probably a number of other songs that I could point to. but So now I know you're pretty keen, and I am too, to talk about the Nine Inch Nails song, Hurt, and also Johnny Cash, the success that was for him as a hit this song called Hurt. So talk to us a bit about that um, because it's it's a, I'm going to say this, it's a bit of an odd choice because, you know, it, it references self-harm and addiction and things like that, right? So I think we're going to be finding, let me jump ahead here and say, I reckon Graham's going to say, okay, so here's the um, the dark side of things, but here's where the redemption comes. But maybe I'm speaking for you. Go ahead. <laughs> well, it, it's interesting because Nine Inch Nails um, released it originally, written by, um, as you said, um, Reznor of Nine Inch Nails. I think he was the singer. Um, and, you know, it had, had some success. And I guess um, I, I can't remember the exact story. I read this some time ago and now I can't remember exactly how it happened. Um, but Johnny Cash is an old man. Um, and people are looking at him going, well, hang on, Johnny Cash is not going to be around for much longer. And there was a guy that decided to start recording, um, you know, a little bit of unscripted Johnny Cash and songs and, you know, talk to him and have you got any other songs and, 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 and stuff like this. So somehow or other, this song suggested to him, um, or I think Johnny Cash came across the song and he's contacting people going, oh, you know, what do you think about this? And people go, Johnny Cash, Hurt? I mean, that's a Nine Inch Nails song. That doesn't make any sense. But people don't understand um, the breadth of music, the appeal of music, and, and not just the music, but the words. So Johnny Cash reworked the song a little bit. And the song has a slightly different meaning with Johnny Cash singing it, they changed a, a word or two here and there. And so it's not quite as dark as it was with Nine Inch Nails. It's still very dark, but it has 
it includes these these themes of redemption and stuff. So it's still really raw. It's still really, um, you know, life is difficult. Um, we hurt. We hurt ourselves. We hurt others. There's lots of pain, but the song isn't quite as nihilistic, um, <laughs> to, to borrow a little bit from our previous Queen. It isn't quite as hopeless um, as the Nine Inch Nails version. And so it becomes a song that Reznor himself admits the Johnny Cash version is better. Um, so it transcends that, ah, you know, there's so much pain and what do we do about it? I don't know. Johnny Cash, okay, yeah, there is pain. That's real. And we don't hide from it. We don't pretend like some people do. But there is hope. There is hope. And this is what I love about Johnny Cash, both the reality, the honesty. And yes, there is pain, there's hurt, there's all of these things, but there's redemption. Yeah, it doesn't matter what you face. It doesn't matter what you've been through, what you're going through, what you will go through, because you will. While you stay on this earth, there are things coming against you. It is going to be difficult, but there's always hope if you look at things from the perspective that God sees things. And I think that's the perspective we need to have. If there is no hope, there's there's no joy in eating and drinking and being merry. That That's pointless. Um, that's just as empty as hurting yourself or anything else that we do. There has to be hope. There has to be some purpose. There has to be a reason. And people can say, no, there doesn't have to be. Okay, well, you're right then. No. Our heart rebels against that. We know that's not true. We know it. Well, I think I think hope is what keeps everyone um, trucking along in their lives, right? There's always hope that tomorrow is going to be better. Um, and a bit, but you know, I, I understand people would find themselves in such a dark place where they'll say they might say, you know, there is no hope for me. But uh, as you're out, you've outlined in this episode and others, but there is hope. Right. There is hope for all of us, no matter how dark or dreary the situation might be. There actually really is always hope until the curtain comes down. Right. And, and, and that's the message of Christianity. And, and, and Johnny Cash, it's much easier for me to jump to Christianity from Johnny Cash than from Queen. Queen, I'm pointing out people who are pushing in a different direction and looking for answers and, in my opinion, not really finding them. But with Johnny Cash, he, he found the answer. Um, he's, he's looking for answers, but he found the answer. And his life is testimony to, well, there's Christianity, people. Yeah, you can, you can have your struggles. You can ruin your life and be restored. There is redemption. There is hope. Um, don't give up. Don't give up. God is there and turn to him. I don't it doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter how deep things are, how dark things are, how lost it seems, how hopeless it seems. God is there. And Johnny Cash preaches that message. I, I mean, I'm not imposing something here. Like with Queen, I had to be a little more careful because that's not really their message. Right. That's my position right and so i had to separate between those two things but with johnny cash that is his message and i think this is one of the enduring 
features, one of the enduring wonders of Johnny Cash, and it will last forever, that Johnny Cash, yep, real and honest, raw, difficult, painful, hurt, etc., but there's redemption, there's hope, and those messages will last forever. What you were just talking about there, and I mean this sincerely, um, it sort of reminded me of, you know, Churchill's famous speech about never surrendering, never, ever give up, never, never, never surrender, never, never, never give up. Now, if you listen to this and you might be thinking to yourself, well, that's easy for you to say you haven't been where I've been. Well, let me tell you, both Graham and I have been in some very dark places in our lives. Um, and um, so I I'll, will tell you without going into detail, I know what I'm talking about. And you have to have hope because there is hope. And I think you've got to get to a point where you're down, you know, you're down in that ditch or you're down in that foxhole. You've got to come out and say, hey, I'm not surrendering. I'll never, ever, ever stop fighting, you know, for what's right, what's good for my, you know, for my life or my friend and family's life, right? Never, ever surrender. And I think it's a great speech. So I know what I'm talking about here is the one that inspired the, the, the British people to um, fight on against the uh, the Nazis. But it, it, it also applies in our lives now. Um, and you can put a Christian spin on it, right? Never, ever give up. Never, ever surrender because there's always hope. And there actually is. Um and as I said before, there's hope right until that curtain comes down. There is hope. So, you know, when you get into these deep, dark places in your mind uh, and in the world that you live in, uh, I think you've got to sometimes um, grab that battle cry and say, hey, I'm not, I'm not giving up. I'm never going to surrender. I'm going to box on, is how I might put it, against the enemies, right? Anyway, I just thought I'd mention that one. Have I ever told you my favourite version of the story about Churchill and Never Surrender? No, no. So after the war, he's invited to speak and some local blowhard is, is up there um, um, introducing him and going on and on and on and on, bloviating and bloviating. And Churchill's looking around and he's getting bored and he can tell everybody else is getting bored. So by the time that this blowhard and I don't know how true this is, this is just a story that I've heard and I love the story. Um, so this may be slightly embellished, but he's looking around at the audience and going, yeah, they're as bored as I am um, and I want this to end. So when he gets his opportunity to stand up in, on stage, he thinks I'm not going to give a long speech here. I'm just going to encourage people to remember um, what's the most important thing. So when he gets up, he just says to them, never, 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 never give up. Thirteen times he says the word never. Now, how true is that? I don't know, don't care. The, the, the more important point is the point of that story. The point of that story is never give up. <laughs> uh, that's, that's right. <laughs> uh, that's why I love that story. Never give up. In my deepest, darkest moments, I've struggled with suicide and depression and uh, bankruptcy and 
I haven't been bankrupt, but I've looked it in the face um, and numerous other difficulties um, that I won't go into. But I've been in some very, very, very dark places, um, perhaps not as dark as some other people's places, but still very dark places. And that thought keeps coming back to my mind. Um, and not just Churchill and, you know, his grit and the British, British spirit and stiff upper lip, but also the Christian idea, casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you or thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Just look to him. I can't hold on in my own strength because I'm not infallible, but I can look to him. I was going to say, hold on to him. I can't even do that. I can look to him. He'll hang on to me. And Johnny Cash knew that. Johnny Cash experienced that. Johnny Cash learned that and learned to live in that peace. Well, I think we might leave it there. Uh, I mean, with that bit of inspiration and um, uh, tying that in with... Um, uh, our discussion on Johnny Cash. I think we might leave it there, Graham. Before I do, though, can you tell uh, our listeners where they might be able to find you? Because I know you've been with us a couple of times on this show and uh, Light Flint Radio, but you do something else as well of your own. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so look for me on YouTube, um, Graham Gould. Um, probably the best channel to look for me on is Graham Christian. Gould, I do have two channels, Graham Charles Gould and Graham Christian Gould. Graham Charles Gould is my older channel, so there's stuff on that that's not on my new channel, um, but then there's stuff on my new channel that's not on my old channel. Um, so I, I try to stream as regularly as I can. About one or uh, about two years ago or three years ago now, I can't remember, I started streaming, live streaming, and I used to do it hours every day, but um, my life has changed and that's not possible currently. But I try to stream fairly regularly still. Um, and I'm interested in, you know, people wanting to have a conversation. Um, I find a lot of people, they don't they don't come to my channel with the idea of being respectful. Um, so please, please try to come with some respect. Um, respect me and my channel and I'll respect you. Um, if you don't want to do that, you probably will find yourself unwelcome on my channel. Um, <laughs> and, and just to make it clear, you don't, you, you're like, you know, this this uh, channel of mine here and mine and Brian's here is basically based around music. You don't mm. you don't do that, do you? You do. That's not my primary focus. No. My and but before I talk about my primary focus, I want to make it clear to people: respect doesn't mean agreement. You can disagree with me as much as you want. Just respect the channel and respect me. Respect civil conversation. It's very easy on social media for us to become abusive of each other and to start and treat the other person as though they're just, I don't know, some scumbag that you, you don't care about them as a person. Let's treat each other as people and we can get on. Um, but, yeah, mostly on my channel I'm focused on study of God's word, trying to understand it, trying to explain it, trying to answer people's questions. I don't know everything. That's not not what I'm saying at all. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm a bit studying. surprised about that. Yeah, <laughs> um, I'm I'm studying, and I want other people to to help me, ask me the questions, challenge me, push me, um, and let's see if we can find the truth together. Um, I believe I found it in Jesus, but that doesn't mean I know everything. He knows everything. I don't. All right. Well, 
we'll leave it there. Thank you, Graham. Once again, thank you for your time and um, thank you for coming on to Philosopher Rock. Thanks very much, GK. Well, I hope you enjoyed our discussion about Johnny Cash with Graham. For more episodes, you can go to our website, likeflintradio.com. That's likeflintradio.com. Or you can find them all here on our YouTube channel, Philosopher Rock. Also, if you haven't already, would you please like and subscribe? And don't forget to comment. And I'd love to see some comments, especially if you have a comment about what Johnny Cash means to you personally. So thank you for your time. Let's go out now with a great tune from Acrolyph. This one's called, and I think this is appropriate, Going Home. Catch you next time. I'm your host, GK. I walk the straight and narrow